Welcome to 2024. With the 2024 election on the horizon, the wars in Gaza and Ukraine, and numerous other foreign policy and domestic news stories, it's never been more important to stay informed. The DSR Network has you covered, with experts across all of these stories, to bring you the analysis and commentary of the stories that matter. Later this month, the DSR Network will introduce the TNR Daily, featuring Greg Sargent, formerly of the Washington Post, and a close friend of the show. Don't miss a moment of our coverage. Become a member of the DSR Network today. Members receive exclusive bonus content, the opportunity to attend DSR live events, a members-only Slack community, an ad-free listening experience, and more. For the month of January, receive 50% off your first year of membership. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSR2024 at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSR2024. Thank you for your support. This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. We've got the votes and screw the rest of you. And Dr. Kavita Patel. These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells. Didn't catch people's eyes. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we come out of one cycle of insanity and elections and uh, Norm into, well, a new year. Happy New Year, Norm. We're very grateful at Words Matter for having the ability to say Happy New Year and hopefully it will be. Norm, is it going to be a Happy New Year or are, are you feeling this sense of dread and doom about some of the things that might happen this year like I am? Tell, tell us, Norm, let's, let's talk about New Year's resolutions, New Year's wishes um, for our, our lovely electorate and our democracy. Uh, so, you know, every time we have the New Year, there are all these cartoons that show the old decrepit uh, year past in a diaper, turning it over to the little infant. This year, most of them were an old, uh, decrepit uh, 2023, turning it over to an emaciated, horrible-looking 2024 character. And I'm afraid that's how I feel, too. I am uh, apprehensive would be the nicest way to put it about how this year is going to go. And that's in part because of the way we're starting now into the new year with a new Congress, with court cases ahead, with even more mayhem when it comes to women's reproductive rights and uh, court cases that are uh, including a new one in Texas, just horrific stuff. Um, You know, in Texas, allowing women to die, uh, basically. and countermanding federal law that basically is protecting people who are at risk of death. Um, We could go on and on, and to some degree we will, Um, but there's less reason for optimism starting the new year than I might have had in previous years. Yeah, and and I'm glad you brought up by the way, Texas is a gift that keeps on giving, but uh, I'm sure you've also been following. 2024, if, if I were to be 
I'm going to say optimistic, but I don't even know if that's the correct word. I will say that I feel a little bit more hopeful that this on like just literally nonstop onslaught of insanity, I'll, I'll sector it out into different buckets, reproductive like rights. So Texas, we've talked about um, bringing a grand jury case against Brittany Watts for I'm not a lawyer, Norm, but I've never even heard like abuse of corpse. I've, I've, I've just, there are things that are happening all to kind of police, you know, women's bodies. Um, I, I really do feel like the public is outraged and it's not just, you know, the liberal public, like the public, like people just think this has gone into a space that's crazy. So if I were to be somewhat kind of cautiously optimistic, it's that I think that if anything can get us through 2024 and our democracy, it's that this sense of, you know, we just need to have common sense reign supreme. And that might turn into people voting into like local and, and state and federal elections. That's what I'm hopeful about. But we also have like at the same time, I'm sure you saw yesterday, January 3rd, with the teaser about the Epstein documents and some of the, you know, United States people that many of whom we knew of. Um, Bill Clinton was mentioned, nothing around like what that means and if there's actually any hard evidence. But, you know, we know that that's going to be a very well, like kind of a well-placed distraction for everybody. So I, I'm, I'm nervous um, about where 2024 goes. I do remind people something that David Axelrod has, has kind of told me time and time again, the January 4th to November is a very long terrain and a very long amount of time. So anything can happen. So I'm hoping maybe we can start there. So Congress is going to come back. What, what do you think, Norm? They're coming back to what I think some of us know, a p- potential shutdown showdown, um, a leadership crisis, uh, all sorts of things. Tell me what you're kind of like, uh, you know, h- how how you see the early weeks of a new, of, of like the Congress coming back playing out. I do not see the House of Representatives having any kind of a plan to govern. What we know is they have made no significant effort to deal with the spending uh, showdown crisis that has a partial shutdown on January 20th, what could be a full shutdown in February. And uh, I think it is well over 90% chance that we're going to have one or more rolling shutdowns, and it'll take a while before those resolve. At the same time, we know what the priorities are of the Republican House. They're moving forward with the impeachment of Joe Biden on utterly bogus grounds. They're now moving towards impeachment of uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, They are talking over and over about a border crisis, and there is a border crisis. But part of the reason they're talking about a border crisis, which is the same thing we've seen before when Fox would pivot its focus to caravans coming to the border, is that we have all these trials of Donald Trump uh, emerging, and we know that some members of Congress, like Scott Perry, may be in the crosshairs as well. So they want to turn to that. The Speaker, Mike Johnson, went to the border with 60 members. It was just a photo op. These are people who criticized uh, Joe Biden for doing a photo op at the border. But what's striking about this, Kavita, is that Troy Niels, 
a Freedom Caucus radical close to the, the leadership, said, whatever the Senate does, and of course the Senate is in uh, negotiations, it's three uh, members, Kirsten Sinema, uh, Chris Murphy, John Thune, trying to reach a deal on the border, which includes a lot of provisions that most Democrats would find unpalatable. But the House Republicans basically are saying, we don't care what's in that deal. We don't want a deal because that would help Joe Biden. So they're saying we have a crisis at the border, but we don't want to resolve the crisis because we want to actually set more flames of fire, pour more gasoline there. And then you have the speaker who was asked by Jake Tapper oh, yeah. uh, about the $4 yeah. billion in additional money for the Border Patrol to deal with it, who said they don't really want it. And, you know, Jake Tapper was incredulous, didn't follow up as much as I would have liked, but there it was. So we're dealing with a group of people who are inflammatory, radical, irresponsible. And of course, if there is a government shutdown, things will get worse at the border because a lot of the people working for the Department of Homeland Security will be furloughed along the way. So that's how we're starting this uh, new year. And it's not with any sense of let's have a clean slate and let's hope that we can finally find a way to govern. And that, of course, is not even to uh, mention what's going on around the world, including, of course, the continuing uh, horrific saga in the Middle East. So how so let's talk about, I mean, not just the horrific saga in the Middle East, but kind of how like I, I, I can't help but think that, you know, We've got the Middle East crisis. We've already had this kind of Russian-Ukrainian crisis that's spilled over. I'm going to go ahead and add to that that, you know, we have an India-China kind of democracy access crisis, India in particular. I mean, we're seeing what, in my estimation, not a foreign policy expert, I'm a domestic policy person. It's our it's our cousin. It's our, you know, sibling podcast Um the deep state that actually does, I think, uh, a good, a better job on the foreign policy since that's David Rothkopf's specialty area, but it, it doesn't look good, Norm. So, so if you're thinking about a lot of these geopolitical kind of factors, if you're, I, I came back from a couple of weeks in in London, and it was just very interesting because, you know, obviously, I have an accent, so they would all ask me whenever I was interacting with locals, kind of where I was from, and and I just said, oh, you can't guess from my accent. And they said, "Well, we." They said, "Well, we don't want to insult you um, if you're Canadian and call you, you know, U.S." And 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 the guy, like, you know, this wasn't one person. This was like several people who said that to me serially over a course of you know yeah. twelve days. So our and and by the way, I, I actually expected reactions like that when Donald Trump was president. I'm honestly like a little like, wow, are we really still faring this poorly in the country or in the world? So tell me, you know how. If we have a country whose attention span can't even focus on what you and I just started talking about in the pod 10 minutes ago, what happens when we have like geopolitical strife and uncertainty combined with what you just described about the inability to govern domestically? What does that look like in a new year? So uh, there was a very interesting column in uh, the New York Times uh, last week by Kirsten uh, Soltes Anderson, who is a Republican pollster, um, but a really good one and a very honest person. 
And when I first looked at the headline, I kind of winced, but then I read the piece and I think it was spot on. And it is, people are tired of turmoil and gridlock and what looks to be an even messier government. And that that worked to Joe Biden's advantage in 2020. But now, and this is where I win, she said that uh, Donald Trump is running as the candidate of stability. Uh, and of course, if you look at his rants on Trump, uh, 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 on his social network, um, they are increasingly unhinged. But you can see the themes from Republicans. And what it is, is the Republicans are causing gridlock, turmoil, upheaval, and they may well take advantage of it. People are tired of all of this, and the sense is that they're going to punish those in power. And that goes as well for what's happening around the world. I'm glad you mentioned India, because I was really taken aback by the story about Modi using this powerful software that the Israelis developed that um, is only used by governments to basically uh, intimidate and blackmail his opponents. Uh, and, you know, Modi's kind of uh, been a little bit beneath the surface when we look at, uh, at uh, autocratic thugs out there, but it's becoming increasingly clear. And you're right, the crisis of democracy is spreading to the largest countries in the world. With Ukraine, the negotiations over the border that we, uh, we talked about a couple of minutes ago are in part trying to open up the funding for both Israel and Ukraine, and the funding for Ukraine becomes even more important. Many of the people who are closest to this, the military experts, are saying that what's happening now in, with Ukraine and Russia is that they're both trying to replenish their arms and their, uh, the rest of their weaponry for what's going to be a long and difficult winter. And if we do not help out Ukraine, and Russia's in pretty dire straits itself on that front, then we could end up with a catastrophe that would have much, much wider implications from Taiwan and others. And we also know that our adversaries, including Putin and Xi uh, and uh, Kim, are just trying to hold off uh, and wait and trying to get Donald Trump back because he is their biggest backer. I think that's an important but, point to make that, that there is actually, that was the other thing that came across in England. It was fascinating to me to hear kind of um, people in England and kind of their take on Rishi Sunak, their prime minister, whom I think, you know, it's funny because like you, got, you walk around and I, so occasionally I would say Liz Truss and they're like, who, who was that? And, you know, you're like, yeah, who was that? And and it's interesting to watch like some of the actions, real or not, there's a lot of this like posturing that I can see Rishi Sunak making about, you know, trying to improve their electricity grid. I mean, they, they've got some huge problems in the UK that I would not want to trade any anything for in the United States, to be honest, but they've got a lot of challenges. And yet there's this interesting optimism about their leadership. However, they all had this sense of well, Trump's going to be president again in the United States, isn't there? So when you read like the daily, you know, when you look at the headlines in the newspapers there, I was shocked, Norm, that there was very little mention of Biden and it was constant headlines, not in a, not in a positive way, to be clear. Um, but it's, it, 
not in a positive way, but not in a very negative way either. It wasn't like MSNBC coverage of what Trump was doing. And I was quite disturbed by that because it did, it signaled what you are saying that we've got enough people in the world who are buying time and actually see it as never an assumption, but a very a likely outcome for the United States election. And I, I was, I'll be honest, I was surprised by that. And I, I don't know what you're maybe talk about how you think this is playing out. We haven't had a chance because I haven't been with you in a while to kind of talk about how this is playing out with the uh, slate of Republican candidates, i.e. Nikki Haley, and and how this plays out for a Biden campaign, which um, if you were watching Morning Joe yesterday, two days ago, this week has been kind of since the new year, um, a lot of stories about, you know, just the Biden campaign's lack of a response to what they see, to what many media kind of pundits see as a crisis amongst, you know, 20 and 30 year olds because of a um, number of things. Biden's stance on on Israel and Palestine, Biden's uh, a, a kind of, you know, support of the economy for like the younger population, you name it. H- tell me what 2024 looks like from a campaign perspective. So one thing that I find a little bit heartening uh, is it appears at least that uh, the Biden campaign and Biden himself are going to put an increased and continuing focus on the crisis in democracy, uh, which I think is absolutely necessary. Um, Most Americans don't pay daily attention to what's going on and don't, I think, really appreciate the degree to which Donald Trump would turn us into a vicious autocracy. He has made it clear. He has said it over and over. This is not hidden. It's not code words. It's right there. But if we don't have the president with his bully pulpit and his campaign making all of that clear over and over and over, we're going to be in worse shape. So, you know, the frame to keep in mind here is that to win, there are two keys. First, of course, we're talking about seven states. And I will uh, bring up one pretty frightening figure that Biden could have lost 8 million votes across California, New York, and Illinois, and still won the 2020 election. But if he lost somewhere around 46 or 47,000 votes in those pivotal states, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, he would have lost. So what we're looking at here is first, in those pivotal states, you need an, an energized base. The Republican base will be energized. Uh, but second, the key, those 47,000 votes, revolves around maybe 250,000 people who are the critical swing voters. They are fundamentally suburban, college-educated Republicans and independents. And you've got to get them to understand. And that's where the threat to democracy comes in. These are people who I think can grasp what it means for Donald Trump to be reelected. But it also means the Biden campaign has to pound away at the reality that it's not just voting against Trump. A vote for a no labels candidate or a Jill Stein or uh, a Bobby Kennedy Jr. And 
one of the things that happened this past week that really took me aback is that Robert Kennedy Jr. is having a multi-million dollar fundraiser headlined by Andrea Bocelli, the opera singer, and stunningly, Martin Sheen. Now, they also said Dionne Warwick, but Dionne Warwick has now tweeted that this was false and she knew nothing about this and would never do it. But Martin Sheen has been conspicuously absent. And if we get prominent figures, and they're mostly figures from the left, who are endorsing a lunatic, uh, conspiracy-minded, anti-vax person who has hired as his communications director one of the main spokespeople on January 6th at the insurrection, then we've got another set of problems there as well. Amazing. It's I, I, I saw that lineup and I actually was thinking, could this be fake news about the Martin Sheen? Um, I, there's something very kind of uh, just, just something very disturbing. One, the Kennedy name. And then two, you know, probably the most popular, you know, democratic president on television to, to then come and endorse what looks bit so just I'm curious, Norm, because maybe this is something that's gone through your head about, you know, are we seeing in RFK Jr. kind of this like viable, since we're talking about such thin, potentially thin margins, and it's all about turnout? Could this be a threat that would take away, as you and I have spoken, we're not talking about crossovers, right? These are not going to be people who would voted for Trump, and then we flip them, and then they'll maybe vote for RFK. I think that the kind of best way to say this is that you're taking a group of people who are just independent or undecided, maybe some from both party, but is it more about that he could take enough of a margin away in a state like Michigan, where you've also got some sentiment that's pretty upset about what's playing out in the Middle East? All of that adds up to kind of your comment about Arizona, you know, an electorate, and we see a complete turnaround of what we would expect? Or is it is it about just the fact that we have these like incredibly troubling third party. I mean, I think a Trump is a third party candidate to be to be candid. That we have these this troubling level of support, and, and nobody in in the vernacular. In fact, that kind of hour and a half on Morning Joe. I try not to watch huge spurts of TV. It just gets me too upset. Um, but in the hour and a half with like every pundit, you know, under the sun, except you. So it should have been you that made this comment, but. Not one person said, well, here's what the Biden campaign's doing right. And that, to me, is what adds up to be a troubling formula for 2024. What's your thought? You know, we're early in the process, and the campaign is going to unfold. uh, You know, it'll start this month because we're going to have our first, even though the Iowa caucuses are a faux uh, contest, they don't really have any impact on delegates or anything other than the, uh, uh, you know, media uh, focus on them. But there will be a big media focus. But then we pivot pretty rapidly to New Hampshire and other places. And the Biden campaign has to get its act in gear. I am very concerned because we know that Biden's standing overall is low. It's, you know, as we know, much lower than it should be given his exemplary performance as president and an economy that is stunningly good compared to every other industrial economy coming out of uh, COVID. And with 
you know, good news almost every day. But none of that is having a big impact on his standing at this point. And what concerns me is, um, first, you're absolutely right. The Middle East, that may, you know, over the course of the time, as Ax, uh, Axelrod said, uh, other issues will emerge. But, you know, the uh, Arab American vote in Michigan is a substantial one. And um, I doubt very much in the end that this effort to attack Biden uh, for his position on uh, what's going on in Gaza will result in votes for Donald Trump, who, after all, has made very clear that he would be the most anti-Muslim president in history. And one of the first things he would do is a Muslim ban, and then he would start to open up his concentration camps. But uh, they may not vote, or they might vote for a Jill Stein or a Bobby Kennedy who will, Jr., who will make a direct appeal to them. But at the same time, if you think about these suburban voters, many of whom voted for Biden, they don't like Biden much. They despise Trump. The concern is that if if they're given an opportunity to vote for somebody else, um, where they don't have to vote for either of the candidates they don't like, they'll take that. No labels becomes the big problem there. But it's also, I've been concerned for some time You know, my guess is, I don't know this, but uh, Martin Sheen probably had a relationship with RFK Jr. over environmental issues, where for decades he was a strong one. So this is a friendship kind of thing. Or his wife. Or or his wife. Um, RFK Jr.'s wife is a very popular Hollywood actress. Yeah. And I've I've heard that that from you know not not that I have ho- you you've got more Hollywood connections uh, probably but but I've heard through back channels that this is like oh you know it's actually like kind of a function of Hollywood and that when you get RFK by the way I've sat with RFK Jr. It's been a long time I have sat with him and and when you sit with him in the initial kind of time period Norm he doesn't sound crazy because he he's got that ability which is something his it's a family genetic trait. He's got this ability to kind of like appeal to what I would say are some vulnerabilities in the people he's speaking to. So it would not shock me one bit if he was able to appeal to a broader audience like a Andrea Bocelli, Hollywood, this, this, about the cynicism and skepticism of blindly trusting anybody, including the government, the medical establishment. You know, how many of us have had like a medical error? How many of you have seen, you know, X, Y, and Z? And then, then he goes into crazy, right? So, so like it starts like, oh, that's not really crazy. Oh, wait, it's crazy, and only a, you know, only an individual is, you know, talking about these things. So, anyway, I'm just, um, yeah. So, um, but you know, there's also Kavita. There are large numbers of African American families who've had a picture of Bobby Kennedy yeah. on their mantelpiece for, for sixty years. Yeah. Yeah. And who venerate Bobby Kennedy for very good reasons. And some of them may not make the distinction between uh, Robert F. Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy Jr., even if the entire Kennedy family, including uh, his brothers and sisters, have denounced him. Uh, So we're talking about votes at the margins. And you know, Jill Stein, who is once again taking the Russian line, attacking Ukraine, among other things, 
who, of course, sat right by uh, Vladimir Putin at that famous dinner where Michael Flynn was there as well at the table in uh, 2016, uh, may pull some of those young voters away on the Green Party ticket. Cornell West, who is uh, an egomaniac uh, in this race only for ego reasons, could well attract some votes, including from younger black voters. And uh, if that happens in these seven or eight swing states, we could be in for a very rough ride. Yeah, we could. And so let's let's try to, we're going to do just for our listeners in our members only podcast, we wanted to try, we have so many to- topics to tackle. We'll do that in, in upcoming pods, including some of what's playing out in Ohio with the grand jury and reproductive rights, um, as well as in our members only section, we're going to talk about uh, the resignation of President Claudine Gay and just some of the like geopolitics around that resignation. Uh, but Norm, close us, take our listeners, kind of close us out. Let's let's do let's. I tried to do this when David Rothkopf would have me on as a, a guest co-host. Um, let's talk about something that I started with this, something that might make you slightly optimistic about this year. <laughs> and and let's actually talk about maybe some of the things we've not, we're not hearing from the Biden campaign. I'll start and we can close out on that. I will say that like economic indicators, not just what we're seeing the Fed release and just kind of their easing on, on interest rates, but I, I will say it's translating. I was in the grocery store after I got back from London, just, you know, buying milk and buying regular groceries. Even I noticed getting my gas refilled. I noticed it appreciable. It was enough to make me say, yeah, that's, that's actually a little cheaper than it had been. And so when you, when you feel the like palpable things that matter to the American public, we're starting to see those signs. You know, I'm, I'm having a little bit more of like an optimism about what could happen in in the economy, domestically opportunities. Tell me, uh, maybe you have the same feeling, but something optimistic that you're seeing signals and hints of as we go into this new year. I I do. I think you've hit on one of the most important ones. I uh, went to get gas yesterday, two eighty nine uh, a gallon, um, and uh, when I go to uh, the supermarket, um, if you have even the slightest bit of care about what you're doing, you can get some very inexpensive things, um, uh, even compared to what prices were a year or two or three uh, ago. I remember the egg crisis. You know, I bought a carton of eggs for $1.29 the other day. Uh, So uh, we have a lot of good news on the economy. I also think that we have uh, the ability to reach people. Most Americans are not either racist or radical. uh, And the opportunity is there, I think, to get them to understand what it would mean to have us all pull together. Um, You know, uh, uh, about six weeks ago or so, I went out to uh, Colorado uh, at the request of the uh, one of the really good governors in the country, Republican Spencer Cox of Utah, who was the, uh, the uh, chair of the National Governors Association. And every chair gets a uh, a topic that they can pursue, and his is called "Disagree Better." 
So I was out talking about the debate program that we do uh, in memory of my son. Uh, yesterday was the ninth anniversary of his uh, death. It was a very rough uh, day for us. But we do this debate camp for public school kids, and it's just terrific. And I think there is a move afoot across a lot of uh, barriers to try and move us back to some level of civil discourse. Um, and I'm you know, hoping, uh, I was talking yesterday with um, my uh, son's uh, dear friend, who was his roommate uh, his junior year in South Africa, whose wife is a minister uh, at a Methodist church in Alexandria. And there they're doing all kinds of interfaith uh, attempts in dealing with the Middle East situation to get people together to talk in a reasonable way about how you strike a balance and what you can do and trying to keep it within boundaries that otherwise have become so toxic uh, out there. So I think some of our civil institutions are starting to understand the threats and step up to the plate. So that's good to see. Um, but the dysfunction that we have uh, otherwise sort of makes it hard to keep our focus continuously on the good news. It does. It does. But I, I, I think, um, and, and I, I'm sorry that I missed the anniversary for Matthew yesterday. So let's actually like, I'd, I'd like to actually kind of think about working hard in this new year so that all the amazing things that you and your family have set up so that we don't forget not, not just, not just kind of, your family's story, but um, as you and I both know, sadly, kind of a, a all too common story that's happening. And you and I have talked about, and we've had our friend Ben Miller on this pod. And I think that if anything, I'd like to say that some of this hopeful optimism I have carries over into just the, the mental health of the country. It's been a brutal four years. It's been brutal for many families, much longer, yours included for more than four years. And uh, sometimes I, I've often told people like when they have a diagnosis of cancer, it always happens to like good people, right? This is always like the, it's, if you kind of listen to like when doctors talk to each other, like in the rooms, kind of behind the patient's rooms and the closed doors, almost 99% of the time, you'll kind of talk about like some disastrous diagnosis or somebody who's lost by their, by death, by suicide or a death that you didn't anticipate for any number of reasons. And it's always good people. And so I'd like to say that this is going to be the year where good people win. So let's let's focus on that. I'm gonna we're gonna put what we can where good people win this year. And I think that's a great place to to end this pod. And at least the general public part of our pod, we want to invite our anybody listening 2024. No doubt you've got some new resolutions. Potentially one of those resolutions is to get kind of more in your podcast feeds in your library and become a member of the DSR network. It is. Truly, nowadays, maybe not. It's it's still cheaper than many uh, custom coffee drinks every month, and gives you a great deal of value, and also helps to support the incredible team behind what we're doing, including our incredible producer Riley Fessler, our executive producer Chris Cottmore, and the DSR Network. And we're going to have some exciting news on the DSR Network with some new pods, new guests, new people for the new year. So hopefully, all of you can join us. And Norm and I thank you, and please listen to us on the member side shortly. Take care. Your next podcast should drop into your boxes around January 11th. <laughs>